So, I grew up in the church. Actually, my parents worked for a large parachurch ministry. I'm, I'm really lucky. I had really good parents. And Jesus was all around me. Like from the time I was born, he was all around me. And looking back, I realized that for much of my life, I didn't know him. I remember coming across Dallas Willard's quote in The Divine Conspiracy. Familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. And I read that and I go, oh, that's right. That's exactly right. In my upbringing, in my life, I, I became inoculated to Jesus. It was, it was just close enough that, that I thought I had it. But in reality, I was just missing. I knew for a long, long time that something was off. And I ended up in vocational ministry, and I was doing a lot of good things. There was a lot of good activity going on around me. But I kept having this, this little prick, this little feeling like there's something else. He had something else in store for me. And every once in a while, I would come across somebody like, like a Bart Tarman. Maybe you've had this experience. And I would spend time with them, and I would realize, I could just sense it, that they, they were drawing from a much, much deeper well. You ever had that feeling? Maybe like in the last 24 hours? <laughs> And I started to ask myself, what, what is it that's different about these people? And what I realized is this. They all have one thing in common. They, they are immersing themselves into the teachings of Jesus Christ, and they actually are doing it. Like they're actually orienting their lives around the way that Jesus said to live. And I realized that this is actually biblical, that Jesus goes back to this over and over and over again. If you read through Luke, you hear about how the good uh, tree produces good fruit. You hear about this wise builder who goes out and hears the word and puts it into practice. We see that the good soil is the person who hears the word, retains it, and then produces a crop. I think the theme of this conference is, this gathering, sorry Carl, is, is this. What if Jesus really meant what he said, and what if we actually did it? What if we actually began to put into practice what Jesus said to do? And so after kind of realizing that this was the common denominator that all of these people I was being drawn to, that they, that they were actually doing, I said, I, maybe, maybe I should try that. Maybe that's worth trying. What if we could actually read the text through the lens of what did Jesus say, what did he teach, and am I doing that? What would it look like to actually put that into practice? And six and a half years ago, I did that for basically the first time, and it sent me on this incredible journey. I, I read this text in John 17, 
It's Jesus' last recorded prayer as a free man. And he prays for himself or what he's getting ready to go through. He prays for all of the disciples, and then he prays for all of us. And as many of you know, his prayer is very simple. Jesus' prayer for all of us is that we would be one. That we would be one. And he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't pray for unity for the sake of unity. He says, because when my people are one, that, that those that don't know God in some beautiful, sacred way are, are sucked towards him. And at that time, I'm sitting on the staff of a church, and I sort of think about all of the different things that I was up to and all the things I was putting time and energy into in hopes of seeing people run into Jesus Christ and to meet God. And I just thought to myself, what if, what if this is actually right? Like, what, what if, like, it's actually our unity that when the people of God are one, that what if that's the best way to see others meet God? And so I, I, I just started to think about this and to think about this through the lens of what would it look like to actually do this? And I went and I started to spend time with different uh, faith leaders in our community. And I like, would I'd say, like, hey, I know you've like, read this like 400 times, but I had this, this crazy thought. Like, what if we actually did this? Like, what, what if the people that don't know God in our community actually looked at all of us and said, hey, um, all those people, they're actually on the same team. Like, what would that do to them? What, 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 what ways would that challenge some of their assumptions about what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. And so we started to get kind of excited about that thought, this idea. And so we started to, to just meet and to dream about what that might look like. And we realized early on, this horrible realization, that we actually didn't know what the smartest way for us to do this would be. But you know, have you ever thought about this? Like if we were all going to be one, if we were actually gonna live out John 17, that prayer of Jesus, what's the smartest way that we could do that? And so we started to ponder that. We started to think about that. And we decided to, to begin to create these rooms where we would have different faith leaders and a few business leaders and, and invite in some government leaders and to actually help us think what's the smartest thing that we could do if we wanted to serve our city together. And to Horrible, horrible moments happened in these meetings that have sent my life on a completely different trajectory. The first is this. We had the, the mayor of our city sitting in this room with all these faith leaders. We asked him if he could wave a magic wand and change one thing, go after one thing in our city, what would it be? And he had this long list of a bunch of different things. At-risk kids, single mom, they're like all these. And, and then he gets there, he says, you know, if you wanted to like really figure out, like, have the biggest impact on our city, you'd figure out a way to start a neighboring movement. That, that sounds familiar. That God uses our mayor to say, you know what the smartest thing is? You want to actually be, like, the most strategic about how to serve this city? Why don't you go and, like, start this, why don't you do what Jesus said to do? You know, like, if, like, if you only do one thing, like the second part of that, do that. It's the smartest thing you could do. And I, and any, any, all of these reasons that we've since learned about why neighboring really matters. And I go on and on and on about what those look like. And how all of these different programs and services that have been developed to help people in need could be drastically reduced, eliminated, 
if we just lived in communities in which everyone was a great neighbor. And I remember just driving home that day from that meeting and thinking to myself, Jesus is a genius. <laughs> right? And it felt weird. Why does that feel weird? Like Jesus is the smartest person that's ever lived. I don't know why I never had that thought. So maybe, is it just possible that when he's asked to boil everything in this text down to one thing, is it possible that he's given us a strategic plan that would literally change the world overnight if every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus actually did it? So that was one thought I had driving home. (laughs) And the second was much worse because I realized that I wasn't doing it. I'm sitting on staff at a church. I'm serving on the board of three different nonprofits. And I'm driving back into my neighborhood, and I realize this, I, this, this thought, like, love God with everything you have, your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm busy with all of these other good things. And I know the names of less than half of the people who God has placed right around me. And my wife and I made a commitment that day that, that we would just do an experiment for a year. And it's been, that was five years ago, it's been the greatest experiment. It's been, of all the things that I've ever been involved in, there's nothing that can even touch what's happened in our neighborhood. What's happened when we slowed down enough to be, get present to what was going on right around us. What, what, we, what I realize is that the person 30 feet away, that's, that's actually a neighbor. It's not just this, you know, big, huge, nebulous metaphor that we put on, like, little T-shirts and bumper stickers. And I started to, to wrestle with this of, like, how, how did I get there? You know, if you want to put all of this stuff that we're talking about over these three days into practice, let me encourage you to do this. Try, try to identify something in your life that isn't aligned with the teaching of Jesus and then reflect on how you actually got there. This is like real super pragmatic here. Just identify something that you can't, like, like there, here's the teaching of Jesus, here's the way that I am actually living my life, I know that these two don't match, and then just reflect on how did you actually get there? When I started to think about this, of how did I get to a place where, where I'm, getting, like, I'm making my living by equipping people to live out this text, and I don't know the names of most of my neighbors, what I, what I realized is that I had taken the most important teaching of Jesus, and, and I had created this great, beautiful little metaphor around it. And I had metaphoric love for my metaphoric neighbors, and metaphorically, I was killing it. And, and 30 feet away from me, people are living behind these doors, and I don't even know their names. I don't even know their names. I, I had taken this amazing story that Jesus teaches, the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and, and I had said to myself, oh, that, you know what that means? That means that, that actually anyone I come across, anyone that I come across that, that is in need, that's my neighbor. And then I did this, this nifty little like, mental gymnastics move. And I just said to myself, I'm doing so much good stuff. I'm actually neighboring all the time. I'm neighboring all the time. What if Jesus meant that we should like, just even know the names? Not, let's not even talk about loving. Just actually know the names of the people that he's placed right around us. 
What if he actually meant that? What would happen in our cities if Christians actually took that thought literally? But we all know that that's, that's not what's happened. Right? We found a loophole. We, we, most of us have found a loophole in, in the most important teaching that Jesus ever gives us. And so what some of my friends and I are learning is that there is great power in going back to the basics, right? Now, I know some of you might be thinking to yourself, this happens, every room that we ever talk about, then they start, half of the room is thinking to themselves, Dave, you're actually not good at exegeting the text. You're actually not even teaching that right. Okay, now that, the first part may be true. I may not be good at exegeting, but let me tell you something, okay? If you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'm neighboring when I am reaching out to that person on my kid's soccer team or the person in the cubicle next door at work or when I'm on the other side of the world and I hand a child who's thirsty a, a, a cup of water. And if you're thinking that to yourself right now, I want you to know something. You are right. You're right. That is neighboring. But here's the deal. That doesn't make the person right across the street any less of a neighbor. And somehow, some way, I made that true. I made that true. And it's not okay. It's not, I think it's something that grieves God, that grieves Jesus. That, that we figured out a loophole into what is the most powerful teaching that he gives us. Thanks. Thanks, David. Man, you've got me thinking. Um, Anson, as you, oh, we're already up. I've been told to pray and read the Bible to know Jesus, but are there other good ways to get close to Jesus? <laughs> David, I think you were talking some about that. Do you, want, you have any response? And, and, and if not, don't feel pressured to answer. We'll just we'll scroll through. and. Yeah, we can just say uh, Thank Tom Wright will answer him tomorrow. I heard that's, that's a good, what, that's I heard that's a good can, way to get out of these, that you don't do know that. how to answer them. You can do that. Uh, yeah, you know, at least one thing I was alluding to is... Uh, in reference last night, this idea of be kind of immersing ourselves in the Gospels. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Dave. And to then uh, look at those ways and those stories in the Gospels in the following line. Number one, how is Jesus loving the person in the text? Mm -hmm. He was loving Zac Zacchaeus by accepting him. He was loving Peter by praying for him. He was loving Mary by hurting with her. And secondly, you embrace, I think, a, a very critical part of a relational theology, if you will, that this Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. So that this Jesus still accepts. He still prays. He still expresses compassion. And then I think you have the liberty and the freedom to put yourself in the text and allow Jesus to love you like he loved the person in the text. Mm -hmm. And that, 
I think is an important principle of deepening that sense of closeness with Jesus. Yeah, so. mm, that's good. You know, I think uh, one, of the, one of the ironies for me in rediscovering Jesus has been I grew up in this world where it was all about, you know, have your daily quiet time, have your daily quiet time, and, yeah. and that became, um, you know, a stumbling block for me. It just became kind of a ritual and something that, yeah. um, that wasn't real meaningful for me. Um, but what I've learned in really experiencing more intimacy with Jesus is that, and when I talk to the people that do this well, what they talk about is, is having healthy rhythms and immersing themselves in this. They talk about uh, the value of having like a really good daily quiet time, but they use cooler words to describe yeah. it. And so, um, yeah. So, I don't know. I just think that's worth maybe pointing out. Yeah, the healthy rhythms. Yeah. What you guys are speaking to that I hear is that if we're going to go missional, which is a big word, if we're going to go out and be neighborly, if we're going to go out and love yeah. our sons better, both of you kind of hinted to the question of, well, what kind of person ought I to be, hmm. can I be, in order that to just be a natural outflow of my life? Yeah. It's not trying to move outward. It's actually going, and you're saying, sit in that Ignatian understanding of, Imagining yourself in the scriptures. and Okay, here's the next one. Um, mm. and we have just a couple of minutes. This will probably yeah. be our last question. Do you like this one, David? Yeah, I do. Uh, I like you want to read it for us? You want to read it for us? Yeah, you bet. Um, how do you love your neighbors with your family when you are concerned that they might influence your family negatively? Um, yeah, this, like, if you lean into this idea of, like, going after and building a relationship with your literal neighbors, it's going to be really messy. Um, your family, your kids are going to be exposed to all kinds of things um, that they may not be if you weren't in these types of relationships. And here's the best part about that. It actually happens while you're there. It actually happens in your home. So my kids and the things that they're being exposed to and the new words that they're learning and new thoughts are coming to, it's not just happening, right? It's not just happening out there in the classroom and then they're coming home and I just hope that we get a chance to process it with them. It's happening like right there. And we're in the moment and being able to have some of the most incredible conversations about what that word means or what this person said or that person or this like sexual innuendo, but it's happening in our home. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, been, that's, that's been like a real gift right that we didn't know uh, was gonna be there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, that possibility and I hope of almost my family on mission with Jesus is critically important. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our kids probably grew up with, uh, you know, those, those neighbors yeah. with bad words and yeah. people living with us that, uh, uh, you know, at times yeah. that needed to be there mm -hmm. uh, that uh, came off the streets and all yeah. kinds of things. And, and, and there's those challenges and it was messy and you have to, to look at the, the, the challenges of that. But long term is now uh, we find our children in ministry with us. Yeah. Uh, they've caught it. Great and, picture. Uh, I, think, I think the idea of being able to catch it yeah. Uh, as we live it, is uh, is worth the mess. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like that integration. Yeah. It's not like, hey, kids, uh, daddy's gonna go out and minister. Yeah, and I'll say this too, yeah. Barry. The neighboring is the lowest common denominator of missional. You know, I, I don't. You know, okay. I go to all these. We sit in all these rooms and talk right. about missional and, you know, what that means and uh, deconstruct all the rest of the, you know, the old, the, the former stuff. But like when you actually get really, if you want to make, make this thing really sticky, you want to make missional really sticky, uh, go outside, spend more time in your front yard, start learning your neighbor's names. And it's like the, the entry kindergarten level 
to, to missional living. Yeah. The door opens up to the world right out of your own street. So yeah. thanks, you guys. This is great. David, thank you so much. David, excellent stuff. Thank you.